0: We've been in this series of worship and um, this three-week series that we stretched out to 15, and, um, but we're still going, okay? We're still going strong, and worship is about us connecting with God, and we've talked about that, and if you need to get caught up on it, you can get online and listen to it, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time reviewing, but it's about us connecting with God. Our main verse, Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, says that, present your bodies as the living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is our spiritual act of worship. It goes on to say uh, that not to conform to the ways of the world, the patterns of the world, but let God transform us into a new person by changing the way we think. And then we'll know God's good, perfect, and pleasing will. But this whole idea of worship is responding to God, what he's done for us, responding to him by giving our lives completely to him. And then he begins to change us. He changes the way we think. If you've been a believer for a period of time, and if if your mind has not changed at all, then you need to go back and connect with God. Because when you're connecting with God, at some point you're going to think different than you did before you met Jesus. At some point there's going to be a, a thing in your life, a turning point, that you can look back and say, I used to be that, but I'm not anymore. That's what God does. He changes us. And then in Mark chapter 12, we have this uh, the place where they ask Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. That's the greatest commandment. So when he says, this is the most important thing for you, he basically says, it's not about works. It's not about doing everything perfect. It's about loving God with everything that you have. And if you do that, works will come. You know, the Bible talks about if you say you love your brother, but you don't help him. If you say love and, you know, so genuine love will result in a changed life. If you love God with everything, then God will begin to change you and your life will look more like God. It's not just saying anybody can say, anybody can say the words, oh, I love you, God, I love you. Listen, I was a youth pastor for 15 years. People would tell you, me, I mean, in, youth, in our youth ministry, it was hilarious to watch, you know, middle school and high school boys. And, oh, I love her. You know, and then, oh, I love him. But you know what? It was, just, it, was, it was just a shallow, shallow view of love. But God's love is so great that it brings about change. It brings about change in you. And even in those around you because of the way you treat them. So we're talking about this love that comes from God that when you connect to him, it will result in change. But your responsibility, according to God, is to really plug into him. In John, Jesus has asked when he does all these miracles, they were like, how can we do these miracles? What do we need to do to be able to do what you do? What do we need to do? And here's what, here's what the response was from Jesus. The one thing that you need to do is believe in the one that he sent. In other words, he's saying, listen, believe in the one that God has sent. Believe in Jesus. That's that's all you need to do, believe. So, again, it's not about all that you do. It's about who you're connected to, and all that stuff will come afterwards. All right, so we talked last week about who we are in Christ, and that's one of the results. As you connect with God, you begin to understand a little more about you. And I'm convinced that there's a lot of people living a life that they think, they're being them, and they're not. We live in a world where we live life based on what other people think we should do. or We live life based on a misconception of who we think we are. And in some ways that can be good, in some ways that can be bad. But there's a, there is an identity crisis in the church that we don't know who we are. And we say, oh, this is who I am. I've always been like this. This is me. I've always been critical. I've always been this. I've always been that. And we, and we don't really go before the Lord to say, God, who am I? Really, who am I? And sometimes because we're afraid. And what are we afraid of? That he'll answer us. Right? Right? There's times we don't ask God questions because we don't want to know the answer. Because if we know the answer, it's going to change the way we live. It's going to change the way we think. It's going to change the way we respond. And God wants us to know who we are. And who we are is not defined any way that we define it. Not at all. And I hope that even through today and through last week and, and if we finish today or if it goes on, then, then you have a great idea of this is who you are. Because the enemy would want nothing more than you to live a life that's not who you are. For you to live out a life that has nothing to do with what God's plan for you really is. He would love for you to live somebody else's life. He would love for you to, to live a way that you, you feel like you've got to please everybody. That's what the enemy would love to see for you. But you're the only you that God made. And his plan is that you would live out who you are. And that's when I said, even at the beginning, I pray that you would take his word, not mine, his word, and say, God, reveal to me who I am. And reveal to me who I am not. Because, you know, we read the scripture last time. We won't turn to it. But in John, where John the Baptist was asked, who who are you? They were asking him who he he was. And here's how he responded. I am not the Messiah. So John quickly said, I am not the Messiah. I'm not the one you're looking for. I'm not the one that can do all that. I am here to prepare the way for the Lord. So he knew who he was, and he knew his purpose was to to go before and prepare the way for Jesus. He knew that. But he knew who he wasn't. But in the world we live in, you know what we do? We live this life who we think we are, and we're living a life that we're not. This is not who we are. We're living a way sometimes that's not who we are. And God wants us to know this is who you are. And, and at some point, it's going to require you to rip off that old name tag and put your real name tag on. And it'll be very uncomfortable. And it will require a lot of change. But it will be the best thing you could ever do. The best thing you could ever do. Jeremiah 1.5 talks about God says, listen, I know the plans I have for you. Because he goes, I knew you before you were even born. God knew you before you were born. He already knew you. He had plans for you. He already knew it. And if you were to ask yourself, today, am I living the plans? Is what I'm living now what God planned for me even before I was born? Ask the Lord. God, what I'm, the way I'm living now, the life that I'm living, is this what you planned for me? If you really want to please God, you'll ask him the question. If you're nervous about what's going what's to happen, because we said it already, why do we get afraid to ask? Because he's going to answer us. And what if he says no? What if I said, Lord, am, am I... Am I right where you want me to be? And he says, no. You know what that means? I got to move. I got to get to where God wants me to be. That's that. No one likes change. Well, some. Babies with dirty diapers do. Okay? But a lot of people, they don't like change. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to cost a lot. It's going to hurt but it's necessary at times. Psalms 139 talks about how God knew us and how how we are uh, just fearfully and wonderfully made. It's so, I mean, we're very unique the way God created us. And it says that his thoughts for us outnumber the grains of sand. That's a lot of thoughts that God has for you. But see, God sees you different than you see you. So if I told you, go grab a handful of sand and for every grain, say something nice about you. Something you think that you, that you appreciate about you. After those four grains, what do we say? I'm nice. I'm nice. I used to be nice. But God just, because he sees you different. He sees you different. He could compliment you all day long because his view of you is way better than yours. And the reason we struggle sometimes is because we're living out something that's not who we are and it'll never bring fulfillment. It'll never bring peace. It'll never bring complete assurance and confidence. It'll never do it. It'll never do it. That... You know, and and I I said this last week, but I'll say this, there's, here's some uh, clues that perhaps you're not, you don't really have a high view of yourself. Let me say it this way. People who don't have a high view of themselves tend to fall into some of these. One, they're uh, easily offended. Easily offended. In other words, you say one thing to them, oh, it's it's over. It's over. I mean, they just quickly, you hurt my feelings, and never talk to you again. You know what that's saying is we're not confident with who we are, that if you say something, it so makes me feel like maybe that's who I am that I just want to hide. I just want to block you out of my life. I just want to stop all of this because of how it makes me feel. Another thing that happens sometimes is we get real, uh, when, when someone, even constructive criticism, we don't know how to receive it. You know what's sad in the world we live in today? When you tell somebody, no, they fall apart. When you've, if you have to go to someone and say, hey, you know, the way, kind of the way you handled this probably wasn't the best way. And there's so many quick excuses I mean, just look at the world we live in, and, and even if you ask me, I'm not going to get in this debate with you, but I'm telling you this, on both sides, when we don't get what we want, oh, there's a political unrest, oh, we're going we're to call each other names, and we're going to protest, and we're going to let our voice be heard, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do this because we didn't get our way. Sometimes, I'm not saying that there's never times that you, you need to really think about, okay, how can I walk this out? But there's so much stuff that happens and it's all out of insecurity because our, our strength and our hope and our value is based on whether, how someone views me. And then, then the, another sign that we kind of can get unhealthy about who we are is we try to please people all the time. Can I tell you one of the greatest uh, temptations for me? is when I'm up here speaking to try to be careful not to, not to hurt anyone's feelings. Because, you know, I don't want people to leave the church. Those, those feelings are real. That's human. But, you know, the more I understand that God is my strength and God is my value, the word is the word. And I'm going to be held accountable for what I teach and for what I say. And I'm not going to tiptoe around stuff because, oh, it's going to hurt somebody's feelings. Listen, we have to live according to this word. That's it. And if you want to experience life that God has for you, Zoe life, that kind of life that's abundant, that's eternal, it's only here. It's only here. Can we still be, are we still supposed to be embracing, encouraging, and equipping and empowering? Absolutely. Absolutely we have to be loving people but there is a there is a level of love that speaks the truth but there is also a place that listen even in speaking the truth we speak it in love but we have we have gotten and again this is my little pedestal so i'm not i don't have any people in mind when i say this but i just know the temptation even in churches is to 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 do something, you know, well if we did this and if we did this, we could attract more people. And what we do is we kind of compromise to make them feel more at home. Can I tell you something? You know what the world's looking for? Something that doesn't give them that same feeling they can get at the bowling alley. The same feeling they can get at at a party or at a club or at a concert. They're looking for something that's different. They're looking for something that's gonna bring light to that dark place in them. They're looking for something that's gonna give them hope and they don't have any. And if we if we don't let God real reveal who we are, we're gonna live our life trying to please everybody, trying to make everybody think positive and good about us, that we end up compromising who we are so people feel better. When I, I'm just telling you, you know what they really want? You know what the world really wants? The truth. You know why they want the truth? Because if they know the truth, it will set them free. That's why. So we have to say, God, show us. Show us who we are. I want to be all that God has called me to be. I want people to say, you know, I hope it's not anytime soon. When I go be with the Lord, I want people to say, you know what? He loved me. He pleased God. That's the greatest testimony for me is that I please the Lord. Not that I please everybody. Do I want to please people? Yeah, but listen, if you please God, you'll please the people you need to please. Because God will do a work in you that you begin to live out who God is. So we have to know who we are. We talked last week about uh Ephesians, Ephesians 1.5, we won't go through those scriptures, but Ephesians 1, 1.5, 1 John 3.1, uh, it talks about that we're God's children. We are sons and daughters of God. That's who we are. We are sons and daughters of God, and you know what? God promises to take care of us, to provide for us, to help us, to teach us. Same thing you would do as a parent, to teach, to help, to instruct. That's what God does for us. We talked about Romans 15, verse 7, where it says that we're accepted. This is one of the greatest things. And this is where sometimes this gets skewed because we think God accepts us. He does. He accepts you just the way you are. Are you grateful for that? I am. But you know what he does when he accepts us? He loves us. And he begins to speak to us. He begins to help us. He begins to strengthen us. And you know what happens? Is we come, we come to him in one way. But after coming to him, we begin what used to be like, oh, you will accept me even with this. But I still have this. I do this. I, I, you know, I struggle here and I struggle here. When God accepts us, here's what happens. You begin to change. See, we don't, God doesn't accept us so we can stay the way we are. Romans 6 says, Do not use grace as a reason to sin. You can't keep living in sin because you know God is gracious. The Bible says, Don't do that. Right? Romans, Romans 6. What shall we say then? This is King James Version because that's how I grew up, right? I memorized this when I was a kid. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we who are dead to sin live any longer there? Right? How can we continue to live in something we know we've been set free from? The grace of God accepts us there, but it changes us so we don't stay there. That's what God's grace is all about. So we we're accepted by him, and he changed us. Now let's go to Colossians 2, verse 9 and 10. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in the human body. Okay, this is in Christ, in him, everything, the fullness of God in the human body. So you also are, what's the next word? Complete through your union with Christ, who is the head of, our, of every ruler and authority. So you are complete in Christ. Go to verse 10. Oh, that's in there. Yeah, it's already there. Thank you. All right. Okay, so in him is everything. So let me just tell you something. You are complete in Christ. Inside of you is the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Inside of you is the power to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all you could ever ask or think. Inside of you. Christ in you is the hope of all glory. So when we look at ourselves and we think I just don't have it in me. I just can't. I just can't. I'm telling you, that's a lie. You have everything you need. Matter of fact, the Bible says it that God has given you everything you need to live a godly life. He's given you everything you need. So we can't fall back on these things. Well, you know, it's just a you know, there's some things I just can't I just can't get there. That's a lie from the enemy. I just can't change. I've been been doing that way too long. That's a lie. Everything that you need is in you. All the strength, all the hope, all the help, it's it's the spirit of God in you. You're complete in him. There's nothing wrong with you. Do you have flesh? Do you act out on that at times? Yeah. That's inside of you. You have this flesh that works in you, but you have the Spirit of God in you. You know what your greatest battle is going to be? When this flesh talks and this spirit talks, you have to decide who you're going to surrender to. And if you don't know who you are, then you're going to surrender to what you feel, which is going to be your flesh. But if you see yourself how God sees you as a spiritual being created in his image, then you're going to begin to make the decisions based on this is who I am. And we're even in a situation, and I'm not going to get going on this either, but we're in a situation even in our nation where, you know, we're, we want to compromise all this kind of truth because someone feels a certain way. And we're, and we're trying to grab hold of this thought that if you feel that, then that must be who you really are. Listen, there's times I don't feel like God hears me. Does he? Yeah. There's times I don't feel like I can do this. But can I? Yes. There's been times I feel like, oh, how is this ever going to work? What do I need to do? I feel confused and I feel like hopeless. Am I ever hopeless? How many of you have felt lonely when you're around a bunch of people? Our feelings, listen, we got to be real and we got to acknowledge those. But every feeling you have is not real. The feeling is real, but the fact about the feeling, it's not always real. It's not always real. If we know who we are, it's going to change things. We're complete in him. Who he says we are is who we are. Not who we feel like. Have you ever felt like you weren't, you weren't just a you weren't a good Christian boy or girl? You ever felt like you just messed up and it's you've just struggled too much? Why do we struggle going to God? Because when we feel like we've messed up so much, it's because we're basing that on the world's standards. And the world standards of people who don't know who they are, when you hurt them, they get offended, they pull away, or you live your life trying to please everybody. And it's all because you don't know who you are. I'm telling you, hopefully, name tags are being ripped off today because that's not who you are. It's not who you are. Let's go to the next one. Not only are you complete, but Galatians 3:27 and 28 says, And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you, all, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You know what this tells me? The value of all of us is the same. I am just as valuable as you, and you are just as valuable as me. Think of the person that you would say one of the most spiritual people you know or have heard of. Billy Graham. Let's just say Billy Graham. Do you know God values you just as He does Billy Graham? God, you're not going to get to heaven, and God's going to be like, oh, hold up, y'all. That's Billy. Scott, get out of the way. Here comes Billy. Uh uh. He's like, hey, there's Billy and Scott. Hey, Scott, Billy, Bob, Mo, Jim, Jeff, John. Hey, look at all these people. Come on. It's the same. He doesn't value anybody more than anybody. Do so you know what that tells me? I don't have to go to God like, I know I'm not like so-and-so, but here I am. No. Man, when you, when you, when you come before the Lord, he's like, oh, I, love, I love when we get to talk. I love spending time with you. doesn't matter if you've been saved for one minute or one decade. Your value is exactly the same because your value comes from the Spirit of God in you. Not on your performance. See, if he was based on performance, then Billy Graham would get a better welcome. But you know what? It's not based on that. It's based on your heart for God and your connection to Him. So you're complete and now... Now you're, you're, you're just as valuable as anybody else. That's who you are. Second Corinthians 5, 16 through 21. So we have not stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone, listen to this, anyone, put yourself there. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Now you can look at this in a lot of different ways. One is that because you belong to God, you are no longer who you used to be. He didn't say, He didn't say that uh, he's going to try to try to make something good out of the mess stuff you messed up. He says it's gone, and you get a fresh start, new life, not improved, not like, well, let's see if we can do something out of that. It's new, new life. Here's another thing to look at. When you, when you give your life to Christ, and you realize the old is gone and new life has become, then this is what I started thinking about this week. People that are still struggling in the old life, what does that mean for them? Has there been a real, and I'm not to judge this, I'm just asking the questions. Has there been a real connection to God if we stay in the old life? When he says anyone who belongs to him has become new, the old life is gone. Here's the other thing. Maybe it's not that you really didn't give your life to the Lord. But maybe it's you've had a hard time letting go of it, and you're, and you're just stifled. You're holding on to something because you, that's your identity. And because that's how you identified yourself for so long, the new life is scary because you don't know who you are in that new life. So you hold on to this old way, and, and every time someone mentions your name, this is, this is what you, you see. You see failure. You see disappointment. You see hurt. You see pain. You see struggle. You see this. You see this. And God is saying, listen, that's that's not what I have for you. I have a whole new life for you. How different is your life now from when you gave your life to Jesus? Because giving your life to Jesus, matter of fact, I just read this the other day where it says wide is the road that leads to destruction and narrow the road that leads to life. And then it says this. Because that road is difficult and it only belongs to those who obey the will of God. So it's one thing, the road that leads to life is difficult. Why is it difficult? Because you got to let go of you. You got to stop, you can't live for yourself anymore. God has to be not only the Savior, but He's got to be your Lord and he needs to he needs to have reign in your life. He needs to be the one to say this is where you go. And we need to say to him, "Where you lead me, I will follow." That's when you know that he's Lord of your life. That's when you know but it's tough. I'm not. It's easy to say it. I'm up here saying it. But I'm telling you, it's tough. There's times where my way seems like it would work better for me. Have you ever felt that way? When God says, love that person anyway. You know what, God? I got a better idea. I know how I can change them. Give the Holy Spirit a break. I'll take this one. Right? That's not it. That's not it. We understand, God, you're, you're the only one who can do away with the old and give brand new. It only happens when you fully surrender. Can I tell you, man, I got, I got saved every week. I went to a Christian school, and if you got in trouble, if you got saved, you can get out of some of your demerits. I'd be in the dean's office. I think I just need Jesus. Oh, let's pray. And I wouldn't get suspended until I got Jesus so many times they thought, we're suspending you and Jesus. Y'all just, you know. But, but there was a part of my time where I kept, I, kept, I kept being afraid that what if Jesus comes? I don't know if I'm really saved. And then I just pray this prayer, and I'm like, all right. And then I pray this prayer, and I'm like, all right, all right. But I never really recognized that. You know what? There's this, there's this place of complete surrender. It's not just words. It doesn't say confess with your mouth and you're saved. It says confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. You know, I, I was in, you've ever, you ever been to one of those uh, camp meetings or one of those preachers? Those, I mean, they'll get you. And they just talk about liars or friars. it's hot in hell. It's hot down there. Without Jesus, you're going to burn forever and ever and ever. I had a, I had a guy, he spoke one time. We were, I was in high school, and he had a football team come up. Some of the guys on the football team, big dudes. And he lit this big flame. He's like, put your hand over that to these football players. He said, if you can put your hand two inches away from that for 30 seconds, I'll give you $100. They're like, all right. Ah, then they pull away. And then here's what he said. You're going to live in that Forever. No relief. Who wants to get saved? Wow. Here comes the entire high school. The entire, I'm telling you, I, I, was, a, I was a pastor. I'm like, I'm going too. Man. You got to make sure. That's hot, man. He Look at his hand. It's red, sweating. I don't want to live in that forever and ever and ever. And I ran to the altar with everybody else. And people are crying. I mean, but they're not, it's not, they weren't accepting Jesus. They were looking for fire insurance. They wanted something to say, I don't want to go through that. And we can't just do a prayer, we can't just throw something out there. We gotta say, God, I really want you to be the Lord and Savior of my life. And if it means change, then by all means, change me. And if it means I gotta let go of who I used to be, then I'm letting go of who you used to be. If it means I gotta embrace the new, then I'm embracing the new. At all costs, Jesus said, listen, deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Deny yourself. It ain't about you anymore. You don't even know who you are. God does, and he's saying, deny you because your view of you ain't you. Deny that. Lay it down and follow me, and I'll show you who you are. That's good preaching right there. All right. Colossians 3, 1 through 3. Since you've been raised with new life, with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Listen to this. For you died to this life. Your real life? It's hidden in Christ with God. You kidding me? Listen. It's saying you died. You died to this life when you accepted Jesus. You died to this old way. You died. That's not you anymore. When you gave your life to the Lord, you died. Your physical your flesh, you die to the flesh. The sinful nature in you, you're no, longer, you're no longer dominated by that. You let that go. Your real life is hidden with God. That's why I said, look, look to heaven. Fix your thoughts on that. That's who you are. Fix your thoughts on the things of God. What do we spend all week ta- thinking about usually? Material stuff. Earthly stuff. Listen, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you. It is what the Bible says it this way. You can gain the whole world and lose your soul. You can have whatever. Whatever you want, you can have all the money, you can have the job, you can have whatever relationships you want, you can have whatever people as friends, you can, you can have this, you can have this, you can have whatever car you want, you can have whatever house you want, you can, have a, you, can be, you can push yourself and drive yourselves to be promoted into position after position, but I'm going to tell you, you can gain the whole world, but you'll still lose your soul. Man, that's not who we are. What if we started living our life based on who Jesus says we are? What if we decide, God, I want everything in my life to line up with your word? What if we say like David said, Lord, search me, oh God. And you let me know if there's any wicked thing in me, I want it gone. I want it healed. I want to live out everything that you have for me. Because this little dot on the map of eternity, it's not worth living for my pleasure here And lose it for all of eternity. It's not worth it. It's not worth it at all. It's not who you are. It's not even close to who you are. Matter of fact, Romans 8 6, I believe. I don't think this is in your notes, but it says, To be carnally minded is death, to be spiritually minded, is life and peace. Life and peace when you're focused on the things of God. All right, let's keep going. Romans 3, 23 and 24. I love this. you are got to know where I'm going with this already, but I'm going to go there anyway. For everyone has sinned. How many of you would agree at some point in your life recently, you have probably sinned. Anybody want to be honest? Go ahead, put them up, go ahead. If they're not up, you're doing it now, so raise it anyway, all right? We've all, we've all messed up. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Agreed? The Bible says it. We've, we've, all, we've all messed up. Listen, you were born a sinner. You were born selfish. You were born into a world that is focused on itself. It's, it's hilarious to me that there's not one there's not one parent, grandparent, someone who works with kids, that, that can, can challenge this statement that we're born that. Because I never taught my kids to say no. They figured it out. I never taught my kids not to share. That was just natural. You grab their toy, they're going to scream and throw a fit. You know what we had to do? We had to discipline them. And we had to begin to speak what they're supposed to do. We had to teach them, this is the way that you're going to walk. We were firm believers on the rod of correction with love. We disciplined our children. It's not enough to say, oh, come on, don't, don't, silly. (laughs) Listen, love your kids enough. Love your kids enough, and there's no greater love than you help shape them for their future. Because at some point, they're going to have that encounter. And they're going to need to know how to take no for an answer. They're going to need to know how that life isn't always just what you want. Teach them now. Parenting 101. You're welcome. Okay, back to what I was saying. So we're born that way. But look at this next verse. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. Yet God... Say that. Yet God, freely, how much does that cost? Nothing. Nothing. If it's free, it's for me, right? That's my statement when it comes to like, you know, you go to Sam's and they got those samples. You know what I'm talking about? We walk around Sam's. I love shopping at Sam's whenever we go. I'm like, me and Chase, we're like, hey, see what they got. (laughs) So Patty's shopping and we're hitting every little place. And if it's good, We, you know, we try to look different, change our outfit, come over. Oh, what's this? Sir, it's the third time you've been over here. Are you going to buy a box or not? Not as long as it's free, right? So he freely and graciously declares we are righteous. Who's the we in there? You and me, the people he says that we're all sinners, but God says we are, okay, six of you got it. The rest of you work on this. You're going to take it home with you. We are righteous. righteous. So why do we still see ourselves? In our struggle and in our, in our mess-ups and in our disappointments, we still have this thing that, well, I'm just a mess-up all the time. We are associating our life with this fact that we sin and that we're sinners. And God is saying, listen, you may mess up, but that's not your identity. Your identity is that you're righteous. That's what I call you. So you may call yourself a sinner, but I call you righteous. And if you will get that understanding, it'll change. You'll begin to make decisions based on who you are. You know what? I'm righteous. So what would righteous people do? Oh, they would do this. What do righteous people do? When there's trouble, What? the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to him. And they're safe. Righteous people fall. See? Being a sinner, you think, well, I sinned, well, so I am a sinner. No, you're righteous, but you mess up. But because you're righteous, you do what righteous people do. What do they do? They get back up. We don't sit in it and, I, I failed. We don't do that. Get up, try again. You're righteous. God sees you as righteous. You got to look in the mirror and be proud. You're not some sinner barely making it. You're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's who he says. But you know what's weird? And the reason I tell you a lot of churches don't get this is I have pastor friends and other people like, oh, yeah, you know, what are you going to do, man? We're all sinners. (laughs) I say, speak for yourself, brother. I am righteous. Do I sin? Yes. But you know what I do as a righteous person? I get back up. But I'm not going to put that label on me. God did it. God said I'm righteous. And if God said I'm righteous, then I'm righteous. It doesn't matter what everybody else says. Listen, there was no one else saying, Scott, you need to pastor. You need to plan a church and pastor. You got it. Mm -mm. I didn't even believe that. But God said, listen, you're my child. And you can do it, and I'm going to do it through you. That's what I've caused you to do. And I just said, God, I belong to you. That's what you want. That's what I do. Now, did I wrestle at times? Absolutely. But when you know who you are and who you belong to, it makes a big difference how you live your life. A huge difference. We're righteous. All right, now let's go. This next one, I'm just going to tell you this next one. Ephesians 5, 21 to 33, it talks about being the bride of Christ. And it talks about, this is a passage where, you know, husbands and wives use this against each other. You know, the wives like, you're supposed to love me like Christ loves the church. Thank you. He sacrificed. Right? And then the men are like, submit to me as unto the Lord. Even though before that it says submit to one another. You don't point that. But it says it. So there's all this idea about marriage and how, we, how husbands need to treat their wives. And it does say, as Christ loves the church. So let's look at how Christ loves the church. What does it say? He gave himself. And then it goes on to talk about to present his bride as a, as, as a, a bride without spot or wrinkle. To, to present his bride as this beautiful, wonderful thing as this wonderful bride, and and, and value her and do all this. And if you read that passage, that's what Jesus does for us. That's what God does for us. He's the one who values us in such a way that it changes who we are. It changes the way we see ourselves. It changes how we live. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how young you are. I don't care what your past is like. I'm gonna tell you right now, this is fact about your life. You wanna be loved. You wanna be appreciated. You wanna be validated. You wanna have value. You wanna feel valuable. You know where that comes from? It comes from God. And the reason a lot of us at times don't feel valuable is because we're looking. I don't know why I just thought that song. We're looking for love in all the wrong places. I'm not gonna sing it. Don't worry. But we're looking for value from people and our value was never in them. If your value is in a person and what they think about you, guess what? It's gonna be temporary. Because in my life, even as a pastor, as a youth pastor, Man, I had people, They were I mean, they were like, they were in my corner. They're like, you are amazing. We love you. We appreciate you. And then I make a decision they don't like. We hate you. We've never loved you. <laughs> and my value just drops. In ministry, value can be, okay, if my value was based on, on numeric numbers, then if I want to feel more valuable, I need more people here. And then on, you know, one Sunday we had a lot of people not here. And you know what that would do to a lot of pastors? If your value is in the size of your church or the numbers of people that come to your church, all of a sudden you feel like you don't have any value. And that was something the Lord showed me a long time ago. Because I went from a youth group that had several hundred kids. And I was a part of stuff, and I was always teaching, I was always leading, I was always doing stuff. I had all the, I was on boards, and I was teaching at camps. I was doing all this stuff. I go to this other church. I start helping there, and then I'm at this period of time where there's ten months where I'm not even in ministry. God's preparing me for this. And in those ten months, I had an identity crisis. I literally thought, I'm a nobody. No one's following me. I'm not preaching. I'm not teaching. I'm not pastoring. Oh, Man, why can't I speak? God, why can't you hurry and find a church for me so I could feel better about myself? You know what that Lord used that time? To say, why is your value different if there's people around or not? Your value is that you're my son. And you're my son now, and you're my son when you're speaking, and you're my son when you're leading a group. But even when you're not, you're still my son. If the Lord didn't do that in me, this church would be completely different. Thank God he did that. That now we don't have that pressure to come up with the greatest strategy of how we can get 100,000 people to come to this church. Listen, you know who I want at this church? The people that God wants at this church. That's it. Because the only church that's going to make it when the gates of hell come against it is the church that God builds, Right? Don't worry, we're not going to go any further. We're taking our time, y'all. You, we have to know who we are. And we're going to take one more week on it. We'll finish it next week. I promise we'll finish it next week. <laughs> I know. That three week service, that three week series, 15, 16 weeks later, we'll finish next week. But please open your hearts to let God tell you who you really are, let God write your name on your name tag.